The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews along with news and opinions on the television industry. I'm your host, Dan Schmidt, and with me is the only co-host who could give Candace Bailey from the Tack of the Show's looks a run for its money, my co-host. Hey, everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. This week's episode is dedicated towards covering the TV-based news revealed at Comic-Con 2011. This includes Dan and I discussing the trailer screenings and celebrity panels that occurred at the convention, in which the people behind our favorite shows share some of the information about their new seasons premiering this fall. Also with this episode, we're kind of giving you a taste of what's to come with Across the Airwaves. News just came out that Bones is only going to have a 13-episode season due to Emily Deschanel's pregnancy and scheduling with the show and everything like that. So it's a bummer. And also Chuck is going to come to a close at the end of a 13-episode run. So due to that, we're going to have to experiment with some new shows to talk about on episodes of Across the Airways come this fall. So we're going to cover some of our new ideas for shows that we will cover this fall. And some of them are the new shows that we talked about last week, and others are ones that have already been established or are up on the rise. For example, BBC America's Doctor Who. Doctor Who was very, very popular at Comic-Con, and because of that, it showed us that here and across the airways, that might be a show that we're going to cover on a weekly basis because that is becoming very, very popular, not only in America, but Great Britain as well. And we're hoping to cover both of those. But before we get into everything... Normally we'd have TV news, but again, this episode is kind of a monstrous version of the Nico's TV news section, so you'll get that with all of our Comic-Con news. And for those of you who don't know, Comic-Con is a convention held in San Diego that originally showcased comic books, science fiction, fantasy, film, and television. Now the convention has expanded over the years to include a larger range of pop culture elements, such as horror, anime, manga, animation, toys, collectible card games, video games, web comics, and fantasy novels. And the convention is the largest in the Americas and second largest in the world, filling to capacity the San Diego Convention Center with over 125,000 attendees in 2007. And I have a feeling that number has gone up in recent years just because of how big this event has become and how much it is publicized by television as well as news media sources such as magazines, billboards, the internet, you name it. And with that, we're going to move into all the headlines that came out of Comic-Con. Comic-Con is a huge, tremendous news source when it comes to anything regarding upcoming films, movies, television, and video games. So for us here at Across the Airways, we're mainly going to cover the stuff with television 
because we are a television-based podcast. But we're going to throw you in some other headlines as well. So going into that, if any of you can watch the cable station G4's coverage of Comic-Con or tried to follow the events on the Internet, you were most likely hit with an avalanche of news about the entertainment industry. For example, with the G4 special, they had talking heads, on-location reporters, and a news ticker running across the bottom of the screen, all giving out entertainment news. And I personally found it to be very overwhelming. So at this point, we here at Across the Airways felt it was our responsibility to help you brave the storm of information. So with that, let's drive right into Comic-Con with some headlines for the G4 special. The following headlines deal with topics that are discussed on the show on a non-regular basis, such as movies, animation, comic books, things of that nature. And due to this, the following will not contain any discussions, just cold hard facts. But if you're looking for something more in-depth, kind of stay tuned to our coverage on the TV show panels later in the episode. All right, so starting off, Hugh Jackman, that actor that we all know and love on Across the Airways, has confirmed that the Silver Samurai will be the villain in the next Wolverine film entitled The Wolverine. Several actors are in line to make guest appearances on Sci-Fi Channel's new show Alpha, including Garrett Dillahan from Raising Hope, Summer Glau, our favorite from Terminator, uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles, say that again, Sarah Connor Chronicles, <laughs> also uh. Firefly and many other shows. Elena Huffman from Stargate Universe, Rebecca Mader from Lost, Brent Spiner, or Spinner, Spiner, Spiner, uh, who is, of course, Data from Star Trek The Next Generation, Lindsay Wagner, the original Bionic Woman, and Peter Win- Wingfield from Caprica. Yeah, and real quick, Elena Huffman, you may also remember her as played the Black Canary on Smallville. And I right. think Garrett Dillahunt played Cromartie, the Terminator, another Terminator on Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles, if I'm correct. If not, that guy that played the Terminator is on Raising Hope, if I'm wrong or right. Moving forward, Lego is set to launch a new line of DC and Marvel Universe superhero figures and play sets, which is pretty impressive because normally the company teams up with one or the other, and Lego's teamed up with both, which is pretty cool. Steven Spielberg says that he plans to release Jurassic Park 4 within the next two to three years. Uh, We'll see how that works out. Yeah. But on a more exciting note, the rights have been optioned to develop a film based on the 80s anime series Voltron. Nice. Yes. Castle star Stanakotic will voice Talia al Ghul in Batman Arkham City, the video game. My question to that is, why isn't she in the new Batman movie, Dark Knight Rises? As that would be Uncle. awesome. That would be awesome, yes. Speaking of movies, Robert Rodriguez is set to direct two Machete sequels. Sorry, the Vigilante, played by Danny Trejo. Director John Favreau says that Cowboys and Aliens is about going back to the tradition of Westerns being epic popcorn movies. And to prove his point, he gave out free passes to his film at Comic-Con. Which was pretty sweet if you ended up getting one of those passes. Another cool thing coming out is the X-Men Destiny video game. And it is scheduled to be released on September 27th, 
for all gaming consoles. This September, DC Comics is planning to reboot all 52 of their comic book series, starting with new issue number ones. And along with this reboot, DC Comics creators are planning on making slight changes in various characters' costumes and personalities that are creating a lot of controversy with fans. Yeah, again, according to DC comic editors, many of the major story arcs that have occurred over the last few years, such as Brightest Day and Batman Incorporated, are going to pick up right where they left off despite the reboot, but there are other storylines where much of the readers aren't going to be too happy. Major plot points will be phased out of existence, such as Superman being married to Lois Lane and the existence of multiple flashes. Also, during several of the DC Comics panels that took place at Comic-Con, which are also available for you to listen to through iTunes, the idea of certain plot points being phased out led to some very insightful questions from fans regarding females, disabled individuals, ethnic and heterosexual characters that are admired by many people all over the world, and these might be phased out, and so a lot of fans are kind of concerned about that. Yeah, and the real cool thing about a lot of these panels is, you know, you'd think you'd have these angry fans just flipping out and yelling and screaming, and actually they brought up some really, I'd say, educated questions. And they really did their homework on reasons why this phasing or this rebooting would actually alienate readers. That it wasn't just like, go oh, on, man, this is stupid, you're rebooting. It was really, how is our culture, how is our modern society going to be affected by this reboot? And it really did an excellent job of challenging Dan DiDito, the lead editor at Marvel Comics, and some of the other people involved in this reboot to justify their reasoning behind this reboot and also I think they were taking a lot of these opinions and questions to heart and using it to apply to their stories to make sure that they have things just right when they do a reboot so it was kind of like a focus group or almost that they were showing their new 52 to a test audience almost like they would do with a film that making adjustments based on surveys or these panels so I was very impressed on how both sides handled themselves regarding this issue. It could have gotten violent. It could have gotten out of hand. They could have gotten angry, and I'm very glad to see both sides did their homework. They tried to work together and tried to use education and research to discuss this big, controversial topic. And going on with that, Jim Lee and Jeff Johns, who are two of the big names over at DC Comics, are going to be working on the new line of Justice League's comics, which take place five years before all the other comics of the continuity. And the purpose behind this is to fill in readers a much-needed backstory. Also, the changes in Superman's costumes are going to be intentional to help enhance the story that takes place in the hero's career, where he discovers the purpose behind his costume and his, his role as a hero. Yeah, and mainly Superman is the character that's having the biggest change in his costume, so that's why I brought that to attention regarding him. And it really feels like it's going to take place in a post, very, very post Smallville finale era where Superman's still trying to find himself, get establish his name very much in the same way Clark was in the 10th and final season of Smallville. So it'll be very easy for people watching shows like Smallville or have come into Superman later in the game 
to jump on board with this and figure out Superman figuring out his costume, get his identity. And I think that's very much so he's going to go along with the new Man of Steel movie due out next year. Going along with the idea of comic books, DC Comics has plans for a Star Trek slash Legion of Superheroes crossover comic book series to come out. Legendary Pictures Mass Effect movie will be based on the first game in the series. And Warner Brothers, which is a part of Legendary Pictures, has confirmed the November release of the classic Looney Tunes cartoons on Blu-ray. If you love these cartoons growing up as kids, make sure you get these on Blu-ray. They're memorable cartoons, and it'll be a great addition to your Blu-ray library. So definitely pick that up and check that out. DC Comics has planned a comic series based on the PS3 game Uncharted, which is in my to-do list of games I want to play this fall. There's two games out right now. There's a third and game Uncharted three is coming out this fall. Yeah, they're all three great, and it's like being the closest experience you could have being in a movie while playing a video game. Yeah, so check that out. It's really cool. Going along with the idea of video games, the Penguin and Solomon Grundy are confirmed to appear in the Batman Arkham City video game. Warner Brothers announced that Harry Potter movie franchise has crossed the $7 billion mark. I just wanted to kind of draw attention to this movie because it seems like a lot of fun. That that movie I'm talking about is 30 minutes or less. It's a movie coming out for the director of Zombieland, which is another really fun movie I recommend. And it's going to be starring Jesse Eisenberg as a pizza delivery man who is kidnapped and forced to rob a bank, or else the bob strapped to his chest will explode. It and looks I, hilarious. Yes. Again, it sounds really dramatic and serious, but it looks really laugh-out-loud funny. And they got one of the guys from Parks and Recreation on there, and he looks like he's going to be in a riot in that movie as well. Hellboy, Double Feature of Evil, and American Vampire won the 2011 Eisner Award for Best Single Issue and New Series, respectively. Now for those of you who don't know what an Eisner Award is, it's an award given to comic book artists for either the best issue, best graphic novel, being the best writer, things like that. So when it comes to comic book writing, that Eisner is like an Oscar. So congratulations to those people who worked on those comic books for that. I know an Eisner's not easy to get. Going back to the world of video games, the Spider-Man Edge of Time video game in which the Spider-Man from our time teams up with the Spider-Man of 2099 is scheduled to be released November 8th on all console systems. One of the biggest collector items available at Comic-Con is the giant Thor Artist Edition sketchbook created by Walter Simpson and published by IDW slash Marvel. Speaking of Marvel, they also have plans to develop an animated series on Hulk and the Agents of Smash, as well as a live-action TV series based on the Avengers character Mockingbird that may act as a spinoff to the 2012 Avengers movie and may also contain some of the Avengers actors as guest stars on that series. So keep an eye out for that. It could be a big project. Yeah, I actually heard the guys from IGN talking about this and they were a little concerned that they wouldn't be able to get some of the Avengers actors onto the TV show. But then they, they said, well, maybe if it's a one-time shot, you know, they just talk about one Avenger in that particular episode. So it'll be really interesting to see if they get some of the big guys to come in for single one-off episodes working with Mockingbird. And it'll be cool to see some of those characters that wouldn't really work in a movie. Yeah. Maybe get a shot. I know 
it worked real well with Smallville DC Comics, so maybe this will work well for Marvel. But we'll see. Steven Spielberg's adventure of Rin Tin Tin is supposed to be a cross between animation and live action that you have never seen before through the film being shot with a new motion capture camera it's kind of described to function like a video game controller chew and day tripper won the Eisner award for best continuing series and best limited series again these are two very obscure comic book series but if you're into that sort of thing or graphic novels feel free to check those comics out when it comes to Marvel Comics fans, they're still reeling from the death of Ultimate Spider-Man, and supposedly there are more changes for the Ultimate Comic Universe, including Ultimate Peter Parker being replaced as Spider-Man. And I heard that a few people in Congress were complaining that they were switching it to a Latino kid yeah. taking over as the new Spider-Man, and that upset them because Peter Parker is supposed to be white, and they didn't quite get understanding that this is the ultimate Spider-Man series, yeah. and not the original Spider-Man series, which are on different universes. So it was interesting just to see that comic book newts made it to the floor of the U.S. Congress. Yeah, and also, there's images of the new Ultimate Spider-Man has been released. So they're in your ACC feed, if you click on it right now. So definitely check those pics out. If you're curious on how that goes, again, this is Marvel's attempt to combat the popularity of the DC Comics character Blue Beetle, or I should say the new Blue Beetle. Mm -hmm. In the regular Marvel Universe, the Fear Itself story arc is taking place, and it created some big change-up for some of the most popular superhero teams. And this especially goes for the Fantastic Four, since Fear Itself led to the death of the Human Torch. And due to this death, it's going to pave the way for two more characters to be introduced into Marvel continuity. But somehow, and I'm not sure exactly how this works, Marvel's comics lead editor, Joe Quesada, says that we already somehow know who the characters are. So I'm assuming that he's referring to characters that might be powerless in the Marvel Universe that are going to get powers and become heroes. That's my guess. I'm not sure if that's correct, but that's what I'm going to go with. Another big event going on in the Marvel Universe is a massive mutant story called X-Men Schism. And there's going to be fallout between the X-Men family putting Wolverine in a position where he's leading up his own X-Men team. And on that note, Schism is leading into one of the biggest X-Men story arcs of all time. Yeah, we'll see about that. They have said on multiple occasions that this is the biggest X-Men story of all time, so... We'll see right. what that's about. And I'm kind of getting tired of them wanting Wolverine to be the leader card. That's kind of getting old. So hopefully all this will put an end to that stuff. Moving forward, Robert Rodriguez says he wants to begin production on Sin City 2 this year. Again, Robert Rodriguez has been trying to get Sin City 2 off the ground since the first movie came out. So hopefully he'll succeed this time. Yes, in Kate Beckinsale's news, no, yes. uh, Underworld Awakening. Selena Underwear Ro Awakening? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Underworld Awakening, Selena returns to be confronted with the fact that the secret war she fought against the werewolves has been revealed to the humans who bring the hammer down on both vampires and werewolves alike. We have her Comic-Con interview yes. up on ATA. Michael did a great job of finding that. And 
it's really interesting to hear her talk about coming back to the franchise because obviously she was in the first two and her husband uh, directed the first two and then they were not in the prequel, the third movie, which was a prequel. So it's good to see her back in the series. Well, and it's also awesome to get to see cool vampires back on the screen again too. Yes, yes. Because Celine could take those guys in the Twilight movie any day. Yeah, she'd take out Edward and uh, what's his name in a second. Two bullets to the head and it'd be over. Moving forward, Nicolas Cage, believe it or not, is set to return as Johnny Blaze in Ghost Rider 2, which is supposedly going to be a better movie because (laughs) it is written by David S. Goyer, the screenwriter of Batman Begins. But we'll see about that. The remake of Total Recall starring Colin Farrell is going to be more based on the book and the characters are not going to Mars. Also, this movie is directed by Len Wiseman and he promises CGI is going to be taken up to a whole new level. And Len Wiseman is also Kate Beckinsale's husband. So, right. uh, And he did the Underworld movie. So I think Total Recall could be pretty cool. Also, Kate Beckinsale is in Total Recall. So... That'll give you another reason to want to go see that movie. Strider, Firebrand, then those are video game characters. And Ghost Rider and Hawkeye, those are superhero characters, that have been announced as playable characters in the Marvel vs. Capcom 3 video game, which looks pretty sweet if nice. you're into those type of fighting games. Community star Danny Pudi showed off the world of cosplay at Comic-Con in a hilarious sequence for the G4 special. Yeah, and I think this is up on Attack of the Show's Comic-Con page. So definitely check this out. It's really fun. Um, I watched the whole G4 special, and this was the, my favorite part of the special for me. So I wanted to draw attention to it. And it's Danny Pudi from Community, and he's always great and fun. Great actor. All right, so Hugh Jackman, talking about him again, is planned to star in a pretty cool-looking movie called Real Steel. And it's going to use choreographed fight scenes created by boxing legend Sugar Ray Leonard to create a story about an ex-boxer who trades a robot fighter. I saw the trailer for this months ago, and it really looks awesome. Yeah, and it's got this rocky, inspirational theme to it, which seems pretty cool, too, as well. Yeah, absolutely. The Knights of Badassdom, starring Summer Glau, deals with three friends that are thrown into a real-life World of Warcraft game. Yeah, this movie, really, the reason why I brought some attention to it is it's an independent film, but it mm-hmm. seems to be extremely popular because it was shown in Comic-Con Call H, where many of the biggest premieres have taken place. Also, this movie does not only have Summer Glow, but it's got some other popular actors, including Steve Zahn. In it as well. I mean, they showed a preview for this movie and I recognized all these faces. So this seems like it's going to be a really cool movie. It's going to come out in the spring. I don't know how big the release is, but they were talking about, just based on the writing, that it did a lot to get a lot of popular stars interested in this. So I'm just interested to see because this right here says the power of good writing can really get anyone involved in a project. So I wish this well and there's not a lot of geeky independent films out there. So I hope this works out for this uh, project. It seems like a lot of fun and a fun movie to watch. Prometheus, which was supposedly going to be an alien prequel, has now evolved into pretty much its own original sci-fi film, meaning that if 
Prometheus is very successful and leads to additional sequels, it would veer off into its own story arc with its own original characters. And Prometheus is promised to be the next big sci-fi epic. That it is done by one of the writers of Lost. So that right there means that this is designed to be the future for sci-fi and that storytelling because of the innovations of, that was done with Lost. I'm pretty sure the innovations that came from that show and that learning process for those writers is going to be applied to Prometheus. So this is going to be a big thing. Also, coming out, speaking of sci-fi, all three versions of Star Wars The Old Republic video game they are now available for pre-order. This game, technically, if you've played it, the Knights of the Old Republic games are very popular on the Xbox. There's uh, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2. Love both games. They're great. Star Wars The Old Republic is going to be probably part 3 of that game, but it takes place in its own online universe, similar to World of Warcraft or the more recently released DC Universe. Yeah, it's a full MMORPG. Right. It looks awesome. Yeah, I've heard there's some glitchy things about it, but we'll see. Yeah, the beta came out, and uh, the first edition of the beta was kind of glitchy, but that's the purpose of a beta, is to get those glitches out. Right. Uh, but I think they've fixed a lot of that. Good deal. Star Trek Two is set up to be better than the original, or the uh, reboot Star Trek One in a way similar to how The Dark Knight was better than Batman Begins. But according to the writers of the movie, it's become something that is difficult to do. In- yeah, and it's kind of living up to Wrath of Khan, where, <laughs> you know, Star Trek 1, the original Star Trek 1, was kind of crappy that Star Trek 2 was better. The problem mm-hmm. with this movie is Star Trek 1, the reboot, is a pretty good movie. So oh, I can yeah. see where it's hard to outdo it. And again, Star Trek 2 is also going to be done by the same guy, the Lost writer, who's doing Prometheus. So he's got a lot of sci-fi going through his head. And I'm not surprised that he's just kind of burnt out because he's doing two big sci-fi epic projects. But again, he's got J.J. Abrams as his producer. So hopefully everything will get hashed out. The Marvel anime series Iron Man and Wolverine promises to have some of the most cutting-edge anime ever seen. And interestingly enough, it stars two popular characters from the NBC series Heroes, with Adrian Pazdar as Iron Man in the Iron Man series, and Milo Fetimatiliunga. I hope that's how to say his last name. <laughs> I'm so glad you had to say that, not me. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Throw me under the bus there. Anyhow, he will be playing Logan slash Wolverine. In the Wolverine series. And again, they showed these on G4 right after the Comic-Con special. And they were pretty awesome. I'm psyched about it. I forget. I think each one's a 12-episode series. Then they show them back-to-back on Saturday nights on G4. And I watched the first two episodes. I haven't seen the next set yet, but it was pretty awesome. So give that a check out. And then after those series are done... There's also going to be an X-Men and Blade anime series in the works... And like the Iron Man and Wolverine series, they're all taking place around the Pacific Rim of Japan. And there's a possibility that there could be some overlap and the stories may connect. Also, on that note, we found out from Marvel that the popular writer-artist team of Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis, who wrote Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, which is really a highly acclaimed 
graphic novel from DC Comics, are working on a story where they plan to bring the X-Men character Cable back to life. The Walking Dead comic book and TV show are planned to be just as unexpected as ever with the concept that no character is safe from getting killed. Also, on a side note, after Comic-Con, the Walking Dead TV series made a huge announcement that we posted on Facebook that the showrunner from season one and half of season two, because they're midway through this filming right now, has left the show under unexpected circumstances. No story has been leaked on what happened, but a new showrunner has been announced, and the show is continuing. But unexpectedly, because he was on... I, I, I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Is it but, Frank Darabont? Yeah, uh, that sounds right. Okay. I, I don't I, I don't want to commit to it because I, I don't have it out in front of that me. That sounds about right. He was at Comic-Con on the panel and talking about future of the show, and then unexpectedly, within a week of Comic-Con, three days afterwards... It was announced that he had been had left the show. And the writer of the comic book is still heavily involved in the show yes. at this time. So it is still, it's not going to go off the rails. I think it'll be all right. And with that, we're going to give our last bit of information on the G4 special. Last but not least, they had Nathan Fillin appear on the show. And he told everyone that he's trying to get a million follows on Twitter. So if you're a Castle, Firefly, Dr. Horrible, or fan of Nathan in general, hop online and show our man, the great Nathan Fellin, your support. Again, I think he can get a million followers, so help him out if you can. So with that, we're going to talk about the individual panels that took place at Comic-Con. If you don't know what these panels are, you can basically watch one on our YouTube channel. For an example, and basically it is, it's basically they take a big ballroom, fill it with chairs, the fans come, sit in the chairs, and on the stage in front of them, out walk the stars of their favorite shows or movies, and they sit down at this big long table, and basically have a press conference with the fans, and the fans can ask them questions about what's going on with the show, and also all the stars of the various shows, as well as some of the writers or directors or whoever they can get, basically talk about what is planned to come for whatever projects they're working on in the future. So we're going to start things out with a big project coming out of the future. And I would say it's one that may dictate the future of the superhero franchise, and that is the panel for the amazing Spider-Man film coming out next summer. The Amazing Spider-Man is back on the big screen, shot in 3D for the first time, and will be swinging into your neighborhood on July 3rd, 2012. Starring Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Reese uh, Ethens, Dennis Leary, and Martin Sheen. Also, Sally Field. And it's going to be directed by Mark Webb. The Amazing Spider-Man's new creative team will be taking a whole new direction in the unfolding saga of everyone's favorite web-slinger. Appearing in person are producers A.V. Arad, Matt Tolmach, director Mark Webb, and our very own Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy, Andrew Garfield, and Emma Stone. Yeah, to me, the big things I picked up on this, they show first off showed a trailer for this. And this new Spider-Man movie seems to be visually different than its predecessors through it using a first-person camera 
at it having a much darker look to it. Also, the film seems to have a tremendous amount of support from its supporting characters. Very similar to what we got in Batman Begins. And the supporting cast, I mean, as we said before, includes Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy, Rice Eifens as Kurt Connor, a.k.a. The Lizard, Sally Field as Aunt May, and Martin Sheen as Uncle Ben. And what was really cool about this panel, what makes me excited for this movie and want it to be a success, is the lead actor that plays Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield, did an excellent job of conveying to the people or his fans at Comic-Con that he's going to do an excellent job of playing the beloved superhero by him showing up at the cast panel wearing a Spider-Man costume. They're giving a speech about how much he has wanted to play Spider-Man. Yeah, the speech, according to a lot of reporters and people that were there at Comic-Con and myself watching it, seemed to be one of the most heartfelt speeches given by an actor at Comic-Con. And it's really made me excited for the movie, and I think this guy understands the character and is going to try to give us something great. So I'm excited for The Amazing Spider-Man. I know a lot of people think the franchise is dead and it can't get rebooted, but after the success of X-Men First Class... I'm all for rooting for this movie. So where are you at with it, Nico? I'm just curious. I loved uh, Andrew Garfield's speech. You could tell he had written it himself. It wasn't a press yeah. release. It wasn't all fancy words and everything like that. No, it was a, a kid who used to sit in his room and read Spider-Man who got a, a opportunity after the success of some of the films he's been in, given a role, huge, essentially his dream role, to play Spider-Man, and he was very humble and grateful for given the opportunity and the ability to be at Comic-Con for the first time. You could tell that he had never been there before, and that he was just floored by the experience, and genuine, heartfelt emotion was coming through while he was reading his prepared statement, but really, it was almost as if it wasn't prepared, because you could tell that Yes, he had worked on what he wanted to say, but at the same time, the emotions of being there and the fun of he was having were bleeding through his speech. So it sounded like an excited kid who got transported 10 years into the future when all of a sudden was a movie star playing Spider-Man. Well, I mean, you come up there and you rip that mask off. He goes up there wearing a full Spider-Man costume with a mask and everything and ripping that off. They're getting that audience reaction. I mean, the surprise on both ends had to just be flooring. That totally threw them off. And I just, I've never seen an actor playing one of these superhero characters get fully into it and try to get the fans that excited about it. I mean, he's someone that cares about it. Because, you know, you get somebody like, and I don't want to knock him because he did a good job, but like Tobey Maguire, he was almost embarrassed that he was Spider-Man. Or, you know, he was playing a kiddie role. And I just, I like that Andrew Garfield's like, I don't see it that way. I'm a fan of Spider-Man. I'm going to play him, and it's gonna, I'm going to have a good time doing it. Then I think that energy is what the franchise needed to keep it going. So I think it's going to be a success. The other thing is, what did you think of the new visual look? You know, the, the first person and stuff. I had a couple friends of mine that I went to film school with say it looked incredibly corny. I thought it was cool. I thought it was the new approach that we hadn't seen before. And I think the 3D will make that better. Yeah, I think the issue that people are going to have with it is it's different. It is definitely different, and you'll have to get used to it. 
but so was 3D a couple years ago, and people love 3D now. So if you are too rigid in what you like or too rigid in what you expect, then when something kind of new comes along, you're going to be hesitant towards it or you're going to not like it just out of hand. I think it is interesting. Cloverfield a few years ago was shot very much from a first-person perspective, and it was, it was very successful for what it was. I think of doing something of that nature in a movie this large takes guts on the part of the director and the producers, and I, I like seeing them take chances like that because I think it's going to pay off. Yeah, I liked it. I agree. I think that everything that I saw of it was really trying to be based in realism and really tried to fit the idea of a drama. And I really think they're going to play up some different aspects that we haven't seen before, especially with Peter Parker and his parents. You know, they're going to talk about what happened to Peter's parents and them leaving him with the aunt and uncle. And I think a lot of that is there's going to be a lot of psychological things going on with Peter Parker based on that. And I think that's going to get played up a lot. It's going to be a little more than just the popular guy trying to get to the girl, I think. And so I'm just looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun, and everyone did a great job with that. So let's talk about another TV event that people are really looking forward to. I'm still on the fence about it just because it's dinosaurs, <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. And we're just going to talk briefly about the quick panel that they had for Terra Nova. Star Stephen Lang from Avatar and executive producer Rene Echevera from Castle Medium, The 4400, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, and others. Executive producer Brennan Braga from 24 and Star Trek Enterprise. And co-executive producers Jose Molina, Haven and Castle premiered footage from the highly anticipated epic adventure series 85 Million Years in the Making, set to premiere in September on Fox. This new event drama from the minds of Steven Spielberg, obviously Jurassic Park, Pacific, and many, many more. If you don't know who Steven Spielberg is, come on, get yeah, out. All right. Get out and watch something. Uh, and Peter Chernin follows an ordinary family on an extraordinary journey back in time to prehistoric Earth as part of a massive expedition to save the human race. And Terra Nova, for the most part, is a show that deals with people traveling to the past to the prehistoric time of the dinosaurs. And their reasoning for doing this is they're either escaping from their past or they're looking forward to creating a new beginning. And Stephen Lang, who was the villain in Avatar, he says in his interview that he gave to G4 that he differs from the villain in that movie based on the fact that he is an idealist soldier with a heart of gold which makes me think Captain Weaver on Falling Skies, who we'll discuss in just a little bit. And based on the test screening at Comic-Con, unfortunately there's no footage for Nico and I to be able to see it, but from what we heard and from what Stephen Lang said, most people are excited about watching humans battle dinosaurs on a weekly basis. However, in my opinion, that's going to be fun for two or three weeks, and then it's going to get old, and the audience is going to drop out. And that's why Jurassic Park is a movie, because it's two hours and it's done. If you do Jurassic Park every week, 12 hours worth of Jurassic Park, I could see that getting boring along. Did I see that happening with Terra Nova? 
Again, this could be a great show. Then there could be a whole other element to the pilot that I haven't even been shown yet that may turn me around. But right now, I'm a little on the fence. I'm right there with you, Dan. I'm excited to see the first couple episodes because I do think it's going to be very interesting and maybe essentially Jurassic Park 4, like we were talking earlier with Spielberg. But I do see it being interesting for a while. And if they don't have a compelling, essentially big bad, as we like to call it, something that they have to do that's not just dinosaurs every week, you're going to lose the audience. There's going to have to be love stories because that's essential to most storytelling these days. There also has to be some sort of challenge that they have to overcome, such as I'm saying the big bad. And unless we can see some major overarching story arc from the beginning, not, you know, many stories like this, they go maybe 10 episodes where it's a little bit different every week before they introduce maybe the first overarching story arc. Or you may see little bits in the, in the early episodes, but nothing huge. We need something big like that from the very beginning. And so please I think, don't be teenage boy character falls in love with cave girl. <laughs> yeah, that would be ridiculous. So, so please don't do that because that's an old plot line. That might be a deal breaker for me. Yes. No, but I'm excited for it. And I'm going to give it a good viewing in the fall. I will too. We hear it across the airways. I don't know if we're going to cover it every week at the beginning. We're going to keep tabs on it. If it takes off, we'll, we may cover it every week. But for now, I just think we're just going to kind of follow along and see where it ends up lying come December. But a show that for sure has a future on ATA, and we can't be any more excited for it, is Castle. She's going to come back, and every time the show seems like it's going to get repetitive or can't outdo itself, it does, and they're going to have a big change-up this fall that I think will propel the show into many more seasons to come. So you want to take it away with the summary for the panel? Our man Nathan Thillen, also from Firefly, if you didn't know that already from listening to our other episodes, <laughs> the cast of, and, and the cast of Castle offer a lively discussion about their popular ABC crime-solving series. If you were at the last year's panel or watched our coverage on it, you'll remember the, the fun and surprises they had last year. There was also a sneak peek into the season four and walk away with double rainbow maker. Yes. I guess there was a chance to get a double rainbow maker. That wasn't recorded, but that was there. Yeah. Anyway, we're just going to take you play by play. Nico and I kind of going back and forth through what happened at this really entertaining panel. Basically, the castle panel started out with Molly Quinn the actress who plays Castle's daughter walking on stage dressed as another popular character played by Nathan Fillon, Captain Mal Reynolds from Firefly. And not only that, it was a good cosplay costume. Yes. Take a real prop from the show. Oh, I didn't hear that. That's awesome. That she stole from Nathan Fillon. But... <laughs> yeah, that was followed by Nathan Fillon jumping out from under the table to surprise the audience when his name was announced by the panel's moderator and to distract them from their disappointments over Susan Sullivan and certain actress, uh, everybody knows, that plays our favorite detective, Kate Beckett. She wasn't there, so with Stanakotic not being there, Nathan felt it was his duty to keep everybody happy. At the same time, before the audience became unruly, 
Nathan Fillion used his approachable relationship with his fans to an advantage as he brought up a huge female fan of his on the stage to read the voiceover from Castle and Beckett that sets up the series as a whole at the beginning of every episode. Detective Kate Beckett. 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 Nikki Yeah, now moving into the news that this panel revealed about Castle Season 4, the stars of the show know the outcome that is going to emerge from Beckett being shot, but they're not giving anything up, and they were unwilling to share it with the fans because, according to Tamara Jones, who plays Lainey, the outcome is even more epic than the season finale. From here, a clip for the opening of the Season 4 premiere show, where all we basically get to see is Laney and several doctors pushing Beckett, who's been shot, obviously, into the emergency room. Now, one of the doctors convinces Laney to stay behind because it's the only way he can save her life. And as the Gertie is pushed away, Laney turns back and hugs an extremely concerned Castle. Yeah, it was pretty much established that the clip was supposed to leave us in more anticipation for the season premiere, if that's even possible. And the moderator of the panel was able to segue things into the actors talking about losing the captain, Ruben Santiago Hudson, as a part of the main cast. And everyone seemed to have really nice things to say about him, especially John Hurtis, the actor who plays Esposito. Yeah, and going back to news about Castle Season 4, the panel's moderator asks who has the envelope filled with the evidence that the captain put together before he was killed. But Nathan Fillon kind of uses his sense of humor, as well as his shock over Molly Quinn being dressed as Mal Reynolds, to dodge this question. Yeah, however, information about Season 4 that wasn't avoided included an announcement there's going to be a special Halloween episode. Nice. Yeah. That has a Ghostbusters theme. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. (laughs) And Episode 2 of this season is going to have a superhero theme that may set up a guest appearance from legendary Marvel Comics writer Stan Lee. Yeah, you probably thought Castle should have been taller. (laughs) Yes. And if you haven't been following our news feed or watched the season finale of Castle, and if you haven't watched it, where have you been? Go watch it. (laughs) The reasoning behind a superhero-themed episode is to advertise the Castle graphic novel which follows the exploits of Castle's fictional creation, Derek Storm. But that's not the only thing hitting bookshelves this fall, as a new Nikki Heat novel is set to come out in November. Yeah, other things that are planned to come include Wedding Bells for Detective Ryan, giving us the wedding mystery episode that I and Dan predicted in the latter half of last season. Again, the concept of a wedding doesn't just stop with the ceremony, as it was revealed that there's going to be an episode revolving around Ryan's bachelor party and sort of a reoccurring side story that's going to revolve around both Castle and Esposito competing to become Ryan's best men. Now, Dan and I, I agree with you, Dan, that I think Esposito is going to win that out because they're partners, but that's not going to stop Castle from going to outrageous, extravagant lengths to woo over Detective Ryan. Adding on to that news thread, Seamus uh, Dever? 
Seamus Dever, the actor who plays Ryan, reveals that the triple killer taking his gun and badge at the end of their last encounter will lead to Ryan's gun being used in a crime and the life of his fiancée to be put in danger, raising the triple killer's status as a nemesis for Castle. Yeah, and throughout this process, I think Castle taking him down is going to be what's going to let Ryan get a chance at some payback on the triple killer. Yeah. As for Alexis this season, Molly Quinn, the actress who plays her, revealed that she will continue to move forward in her relationship with her boyfriend, Ashley, and the plot line with her going to college is also going to keep going forward. But what's new for Alexis this season is she's going to start venting her opinions on Castle's interest in stopping murders, especially since this choice in her father's lifestyle has now put her and Martha's lives in danger, judging by the fact that they were there when Beckett was shot by the sniper. The cast of Castle during the panel seemed to be joking around about this concept, but it appears as if Castle gets into a physical altercation with Beckett's boyfriend, Josh, where Castle's family members seem to be threatened. There's also a rumor going around about season four that Castle's father will make an appearance. They said this last season and it didn't happen, so I'm not sure if it's going to happen here. And currently the cast is rooting for the father to be played by Christopher Walken. But I'm hoping for something more iconic, and again, this is very much so wishful thinking. This iconic I went for, because I said Harrison Ford, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Especially if Castle's father has to be a bad guy, I wouldn't want it to be Harrison Ford. With the panel open for discussion, Nathan Fillon is asked if an actor from Firefly will appear on Castle, and the response seemed to guarantee that it's going to be soon. The rest of the panel dealt with fan questions that led to all sorts of Nathan Fillon fun, including our man giving out free autograph stuff. The cast of Castle discussing how their show is much more collaborative than anything they've worked on before. Got a hilarious announcement from the actor who plays Laney that Ashton Kutcher is going to be replacing Stonicotic on this new season of Castle. A joke that Nathan Fillon declared to be way too soon. <laughs> yeah, finally the panel ended with Nathan Fillon being asked about his future in movies, and for the time being, he would love to play Nathan Drake, yes, I agree, in the Uncharted movie. But right now his dedication is towards the cast of Castle and the success of the show. So, Nico, what did you get out of this panel? Was theories or any ideas you were able to put together from all that stuff? I know they gave us a lot of little clues, but... Yeah, I'm most excited for the return of Castle this fall. It is, it's the one show I am most looking forward to in the new season of TV. And not only because of the best finale of last season, leaving us with a huge cliffhanger, but because I see this show as being the best on TV and having so much potential that this season I can hardly keep it from being overly excited, you know? Oh, yeah. And I, I like your idea. I'm really looking forward to the possibility of meeting Castle's father, and I, I too think sh- it should be Harrison Ford. And why, you, you might ask? Because Nathan Fillon is often referred to as a young Harrison Ford, yeah. and to actually see that on Castle with Harrison playing his father would be like a dream come true. Even if he is ends up being bad or something like that, you still would see some of those rogue features or him being a, a scruffy-looking nerf herder. And uh, 
Nathan fitting right in with him. So I, I really think that that could work, even if he ends up being bad. And Nathan is the only actor I can see playing Nathan Drake. So oh, yeah. that would be amazing because Nathan Drake is very much like Indiana Jones rebooted uh, or yeah. a very Indiana Jones-esque character. So that would be amazing if someone could make that happen. I agree with all the above. Yeah. Uh, I think Castle has enough respect now to draw the attention of Harrison Ford. Like, this is the best show on TV. Yeah, and the Castle panel was as much fun and exciting as we've come to expect from the King of Comic-Con. I know most oh, yeah. people say that title belongs to Joss, but I think Nathan's the king and Joss is the learned teacher. Yeah, I agree. And the cast, all of them had a great time up there on the panel. Yeah, and barring the one glaring absence in Stonicotic, everybody was there that wanted to be there, you know? And yeah. you could tell that they were having fun and loved being there. And, and that really comes through when the actors love what they're doing and they love the fans and they will, are willing to take a weekend out of their time. You know, this is their free time. This is the part of the year where they're not working. To come and hang out with the fans and take personal questions from them, it's, it's a lot of fun. These people are true entertainers yeah. on Castle. That's the big thing about them. And I think we saw it for sure here. And the way that they kind of played with the audience and gave them just enough what they wanted to hear mm -hmm. makes it feel like that they're as excited about what's coming next season as we are. Yeah, I think this panel was the one panel I would have braved the lines to ensure I got into this summer. Because yeah. I, I would have been sad if if I'd been able to go to Comic-Con and not gotten into this panel. Yeah. But with that, I do have some theories that I want to throw out there. Okay. We've not seen a lot of Beckett in cast photos or anything next season. Even the preview didn't even show her. My thought process, and this is different for television, what if they paralyzed Beckett? Made her kind of like a character similar to Barbara Gordon in the Batman comics. Uh, that's a good theory. I don't see them doing that. And the reason why they do it, they would not do it to be condescending to her No, character. absolutely not. It would totally be about having this iconic character, someone for that type of people to look up to. And it's because it's never been seen before on TV. And Castle no. seems to like to go that route. Mm-hmm. And it just fits the type of characters and atmosphere and gives almost everybody something to do in the team. And what I mean by the team is Castle and Ryan and Esposito. Okay, yeah, and it would make it very difficult for Beckett to uh, go to crime scenes, be able to work the scenes, and do her thing. So she, it would radically change her character, which I don't think the audience okay. or fans would be receptive to, even though it would be, if they started a series where the detective was oh, in a wheelchair or if the detective, like the bone collector, was a quadriplegic, but st still be able to do all his work from his bed, then that would be different. But radically changing the character at this late stage, going into season right. four, it would be such a shock. I think the fans would be outraged. Because I don't see it as such a change to me, but that's coming from my perspective on this general audiences that might be a little much 
The other thing is, is Josh going to be the sniper? Whoa. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. That's amazing. Was that part of the panel that I missed? Well, they said that they're having an altercation. Yeah, that, that could be anything, really. And somebody told me somewhere that they saw video of Castle fighting somebody. Hmm. Then they want to think it's him. Okay. That would be amazing. It would be unexpected. It would be a complete left turn. But, hey, who's to say not? That would be interesting to see. I would assume the episode would be he tries to take her out while she's in the hospital. To finish the job? Yeah. We would have to have some sort of lead up to that where we would understand the motive. Well, that would be the whole first episode. Maybe. Just throwing it out there. I, I don't know. Hey, it's a great theory. That's just a lot of stuff Yeah. to do. Uh, I think this premiere episode is going to hit the ground running. But I think they're going to resolve a lot in it if they're going to go to a fun episode with episode two, bringing in superheroes and things like that. At the end of the first episode, we will have a lot of our questions answered. Yeah. September 19th can't come soon enough for me. I know. Well, I did this whole thing with the wedding and the triple killer, and oh man, I think we're going to get a really great episode out of Ryan when the triple killer comes back. Yeah, you know, he was made to look the fool the last time, and it'll be interesting to see if he's a little more successful this time. And I think we're going to learn a lot about him this season. I don't think he's gotten his time that I think he will this season. So that's what I'm going to take out of that. Uh, I know it's a bunch of random kind of shots in the dark, but that's where I'm at now, and they did a good job of making me more excited to watch the show. Yeah, I mean, that's the point of coming to Comic-Con, is to get people right. excited, and we were already excited, so they just poured gasoline on that fire. Yeah. So let's jump forward. We're going to talk real quick about the Ringer panel. I know you're waiting for a while to watch this show, but... Let's just go over it real quick. Sarah Michelle Gellar makes her highly anticipated television return in the gripping new thriller Ringer as a woman who, after witnessing a murder, goes on the run, hiding out by assuming the life of her wealthy, identical twin, only to learn that her sister's seemingly idyllic life is just as complicated and dangerous as the one she's trying to leave behind. Be the first to see an exclusive sneak peek at the new series about family secrets and stolen identities, followed by the panel discussion with the series star Sarah Michelle Gell from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and other projects, Lone Grufford, Grufford uh, from Fantastic yeah. Four, Nestor Carbonell from Lost and the Dark Knight, Christoph Pola, Palaha, I'm terrible with names, from Life Unexpected, executive producers Pan VZ from CSI New York, and co-executive producer Nicole Schneider from Supernatural, and Eric Charmello from Supernatural. With us having discussed new upcoming shows in last week's episode, we are going to leave this look at Ringer short, sweet, and to the point, because we don't want to keep you from watching the show, and we want to have enough time to give you updates about our favorite returning shows. So here's what we know about Ringer real quick based on the show's first Comic-Con panel. Nico, you want to take it away with C? Sure. 
Starting off, Sarah Michelle Gellar has tremendous fan support behind her with this new show based on the way she was applauded when showing up at the panel. Sarah Michelle Gellar said that she took on the role of two twin sisters working against each other while being hunted by the mob because it was the first time in a very long time she was surprised by something in a story, which is something that says a lot since Sarah Michelle Gellar became tired of Joss Whedon's fresh and snappy dialogue near the end of her run as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, and Chris Palaha, who plays one of the love interests on Ringer, his first audition was for playing Riley Finn on Buffy. Yeah, and finally, Ringer is planned to have no supernatural elements whatsoever, but Sarah Michelle Gellar is excited about getting to use a gun. So that's pretty much it for Ringer. G4 says that this is the show to watch this fall. And this show is basically a declaration of what the CW's future is going to look like in a world without Smallville. So we'll see how it goes, and we'll see if this will lead the network to a place where it is finally taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I know you're on the fence with that one, Nico. Yeah, I really am. But I'll give it a try at Christmas, and right. especially if you tell me it's worth watching. Yep. Well, I'll give it a watch in the fall. God, this is another one that we hear at ATA. We'll keep an eye on and keep you updated. But now we're going to move on to a show that we're definitely going to for sure cover just on the sheer popularity it's received in the past year and the popularity it got at Comic-Con. These are the shows Doctor Who and Torchwood, which were very popular British sci-fi shows. Doctor Who's been around for years, but now it's in America and it's taken it by storm. So I haven't gotten caught up on these two shows yet. I'm currently in the process of watching them on Netflix, that I'm enjoying every moment of them. But Nico's watched them all the way through. So we're going to have him quickly brief you on everything that happened with those panels, just so we can get the ball rolling on Doctor Who and Torchwood being a part of our ATA episodes and discussions. So coming to soon to ATA is Doctor Who and Torchwood. And with a brief preview, here's Nico. Stars Matt Smith and Karen Gillan, along with writers and producers, make their first Comic-Con appearance for a panel and question and answer. They're bringing exclusive new footage of the new season to be shown ahead of its late summer return on BBC America. Doctor Who himself, actor Matt Smith, also talked to G4 about the energy American sci-fi fans bring to bear compared to British fans. And he also reveals that the Doctor will face off against a Minotaur and a totally brand new monster. Also, Amy is planned to have a hardcore fight scene with some robots, and Matt actually said that in that episode, it's Karen Gillan's best acting of the series thus far. He said she just nailed it and was ungodly just how good she was. Now, the panel talked a lot about the explosion, as I just said, of the fandom here in the U.S. in the last year and how much that excites Matt Smith. He says that Doctor Who is a phenomenon in the UK, but it has almost gone beyond that here in the US, and it has become so huge that they almost think there are more fans here in the States than there are in the UK. Both Matt and Karen are also so impressed with how vocal and openly appreciative the US fans are, and they love coming to the US to promote the show. 
Also, a major talking point of the early part of the panel was the discussion of the major reveal at the end of the first half of Series 6 with the revelation of the origins of River Song. I'm not going to spoil anything, okay, but who she is and what she is. It was such an amazing shocker that everyone is still talking about it and will be for months to come. As I said, I won't spoil it because Dan and I talked and he's not caught up yet on Doctor Who. And I don't want to spoil Series 5 and 6 for him or for any of you that aren't caught up yet. But if you're going to be listening to us this fall, you got to get caught up because it is amazing. Now, Matt, Karen, and Arthur, Arthur plays uh, Rory, the companion's companion in Series 5 and 6, are the actors are all friends outside of the show and they play lots of practical jokes on each other and have a great time on set because they are shooting in a very remote, not really remote, but a very outside of London area in Cardiff. They spend a lot of time alone together, even when they're not shooting. So they've developed a great relationship and they say that it it has brought much better acting into the show because they are friends outside of the show. They even have nice. a TARDIS bar they go to in Cardiff while shooting. Matt Smith said that his favorite alien race, he was asked what his favorite alien race from the show was, and he said it was the Weeping Angels, which is one of the best episodes of his two series. And Karen Gillan said that hers was the Sisters of Planitude, or if you're not sure who those are, those are the cat nuns that we saw twice with David Tennant as the Doctor. Okay. That's when we also find out who the face of Bo is, um, that episode. I personally like the silence from this season. Uh, The silence is one of the alien races. And the Weeping Angels is one of my favorites as well. That's the the same one back in season three, right? uh, With uh, Martha Jones? Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah, I agree. The Weeping Angels will return in the second half of this series in the fall, so we will be talking about the Weeping Angels again. Awesome. But I gotta respect the Daleks and Cybermen, because they have been part of every incarnation of the entire series. So, you gotta love the characters that even the the creators continue to bring back. Yeah. Now, as I said, Doctor Who is planned to return to BBC America this coming fall. Actually, new episodes of Doctor Who come at the end of this month, August 27th, on BBC America. Also, to celebrate Doctor Who being at Comic-Con, they were giving away a limited edition of Doctor Who Tardis bobbleheads, which uh, I wish I could have gotten one, but maybe I'll just start scanning eBay now to try and find one. Yeah. Now, Torchwood. Awesome. Torchwood summary. John Barrowman, who also was in the Doctor Who series, and Eve Miles, also a couple episodes of the Doctor Who, they joined cast members Mackay Pfeiffer from ER and Bill Pullman, Independence Day, and Alexa Havens, who I guess her biggest role would be All My Children, and Lauren Ambrose from Six Feet Under, also brought Jane Espenson, uh, Battlestar Galactica, and also a Joss Whedon uh, writer. Wrote for Firefly. Exactly. Discusses the four installment of the HitBC Worldwide show, and also now a Stars original co-production, currently airing Friday nights on Stars. Torchwood Series 4 is the darkest one yet. The most originally it was kind of light-hearted. Aliens come or things come through the rift in Cardiff, and they have to deal with it to 
protect the earth from being overrun. Now they are turned into the bad guys or the rest of the world thinks they're the bad guys. So they're being hunted. And Captain Jack is a immortal who becomes mortal while the rest of the world becomes immortal. And it's really been done successfully this season and a lot of people are really loving it. I've liked it thus far this year. Torchwood is going to be resolved in 10 episodes this summer. And really, if you haven't watched the first three, first two seasons plus the first miniseries, you really have no idea what I'm talking about. And it doesn't make much sense for me to go on too much if you're not really familiar with it. But I'd have to say, just go and watch the first two seasons of Torchwood, the last miniseries, and then this one. This one, Miracle Day series, is amazing. It really is the best they've done. And the reason we lumped Torchwood and Doctor Who together is Torchwood is a spinoff of the Doctor Who series. So if you watch a little Doctor Who and you like it, start watching Torchwood too because it's really good too. Yeah. And other than that, I really didn't have much to say about the show or the panel this year. Yeah, all I have to say is these are great shows. Watching them on Netflix, they're great stuff. I was introduced to the lead character on Torchwood, Captain Jack Harkness on Doctor Who. Fell in love with the character and the actor. Love him on Torchwood. Yeah, the one thing I do need to say about this season of Torchwood is it is on stars, so it's not your normal TV. It's got like HBO or Showtime content. So there are a couple scenes that are a little more graphic than you may be used to on TV. So just be forewarned. There's some blood and guts. There's a sex scene with John Barrowman and another man. And then E, oh no, Mackay Pfeiffer and one of the actresses on the show. So there's some sex, there's some gore, there's some (laughs) uh, different things you might not be used to on uh, network television, but it's really good and it doesn't distract from the storytelling. It actually enhances it. So just a a forewarning. (laughs) You might go into it and be like, whoa. It's really good. All those actors seem just a lot of fun. I wish them well with everything that's going on with that. So moving forward, we're going to talk about Another big sci-fi explosion that has hit TV screens this summer, and that's the other Steven Spielberg show, which I think will outlive Terra Nova, and that's Falling Skies. TNT's powerful drama series Falling Skies follows a group of survivors who band together after a devastating alien invasion has incapacitated most of the world. Ordinary people are called upon to fight back against the occupying force as they struggle for the survival of the human race. Join stars Noah Wiley from ER, Moon Bloodgood from Terminator Salvation, Will Patton Armageddon, Drew Roy or Waugh from Secretariat, Colin Cunningham living in your car, and Sarah Sanguine Carter from Shark, and co-executive producers Mark Vierheiden from Battlestar Galactica in a question and answer and watch exclusive never-before-seen footage from Falling Skies. With Falling Skies being such a new show, there was not a whole lot to take away from the panel. There were other things that were given away about the future of the show that could obviously be predicted, such as the younger women on the show, like Karen, Margaret, the Renegade, Dan Lurides, the medical student, they're all going to have a thing for hell. 
to is Noah Wiley's character's oldest son. Yeah, and it was revealed during the panel that Steven Spielberg was the one who helped design and approve the look of, as well as the makeup used on the skitters. Which are the aliens on the show. Now, there's also different types of the aliens, which was revealed, and I think Spielberg signed off on all the looks of those aliens as well. Tom, Noah Wiley's character, and Anne, Moon Bloodgood's character, will start developing towards a romance by the end of the first season, which we did see happen in the finale, if you caught it. And supposedly the moment that a few episodes ago where Anne put a bloody handprint on the missing person's wall because she didn't have a picture of her son to put up there was the moment where, I guess, Tom's character falls in love with her. Going along with the idea of moving forward, according to executive producer Mark Verheiden, the goal for Falling Skies is to have 98 episodes, which will make the show story arc about five seasons long, depending on how their cable schedule plays out. However, within these 98 episodes, there will be no flashbacks to the invasion. The story is going to continue to propel forward, but there is a guarantee for plenty of backstories, like what we saw with Weaver, the character played by Will Patton, in the episode leading into the season finale. Also, for those of you who might have been worried about a future for this show, the second season has been greenlit, and a complete storyboard with plans for more types of aliens to be revealed beyond the skitters and the tall, lanky, liquid metal-like creatures that we've seen so far. And I've got to say right now, Nico, this show is awesome. The season finale had me really pumped up, and the way they did things with a certain rocket launcher was a Mm -hmm. lot of fun. Got fun to watch, and Will Patton and Noah Wiley together have stolen the show in many of their scenes. And it's just got this kick-butt America go fight a war theme to it and I love it. It's got me psyched up and I it's got it's very patriotic. They got some history thrown into it. And I love it. And yeah, I don't know if you're that excited about it, but I am. Yeah, I totally am. I have not seen the finale two episodes because of my exam schedule, but as soon as I get internet back at my place I will watch it. I'm hoping that's tomorrow. <laughs> so, like, I'm I'm really excited about this show, and I'm I'm sad that it's the first season's already done. Those ten episodes went by way too fast. Yeah, it and, felt like it was six. Yeah, it really did. And yeah, it was only nine weeks long because the finale was two episodes, or no, it was eight weeks long because the yeah. premiere was two episodes and the finale was two episodes. But still. That went way too fast, and I'm really into it. I think it's a great. I think the storytelling is great. Yes, some of the CGI is TV quality CGI, but it's still good. Well, it's I, the first season. Yeah, I enjoy it. They're going to get some big money for season two, and I think we're going to see some improvements in the CGI. I agree. The only thing about it, this is my only issue, and it's not even that it's not well done. It's they're not going to start the next season until next summer. Yeah, and I think either the show's going to be forgotten, or it's going to lose a lot of its momentum. Go yeah, ahead. that's the that's the problem with TNT's TV schedule. Originally, they thought they couldn't compete with the network TV, and that's why they were on the off seasons. They'd have during the break for network TV during the winter. They'd have their twelve episodes or ten episodes or whatever it was, and then they'd come back in the summer and do the second half of their season. 
and it was successful for them. But now I think they have quality programming that can compete and far exceed some of the network television. So they should be on the regular television schedule as well. Because I think this thing could take on Terra Nova and win. Yeah, it doesn't have the same budget, but that has been actually a problem for Terra Nova. It's over budget, it's spending too much money, it's costing too much, and they're not getting the quality that we are seeing at a cheaper price for Falling Skies. And a better, so far, a better story, I think. Well, and you've got Noah Wiley and Will Patton as your lead actors on the show. They have a quality cast. They found some diamonds in some of the kids who are, are just brilliant. And then Moon Bloodgood has proven herself before, and obviously Noah Wiley and Will Patton have made themselves into stars. Maybe not everybody realizes that they're stars, but in my mind, these guys are consummate professionals. They're TV stars for sure. Yeah, the season, I know you didn't watch it, but the season finale takes that opinion to all another level. That's all I have to say to that. Okay, good. So it's good stuff. But speaking of solid lead characters, we're going to talk about a show with two male lead characters that weren't very well-known actors come about five, six years ago. But now I think everyone knows their name and their great household. I don't know if they're household brands, but they're two guys I love. That's Sean and Gus. We're going to talk about them. Got their return of Psych, which they typed up in the panel this year at Comic Con. Calling all Psych-O's, USA Network Psych is back at Comic-Con with another hilarious panel featuring the stars and producers behind one of Cable's most popular shows. Moderated by Psych's resident morgue dweller and fan favorite Woody the Coroner, acclaimed actor Kurt Fuller, the one-hour panel will be a be full of surprises and FaceTime with series stars James Roday, who plays Sean Spencer, and Dula Hill, who plays Burton Gus Gusterson, or Guster, Maggie Lawson, who plays Julia O'Hare, Tim O'Munson, who plays Lassiter, Kristen Nelson, who plays The Chief, and ATA favorite Corbin Burnson, yes. plays Henry Spencer, Sean Spencer's dad. Joining the cast are Steve Franks, creator and executive producer, Kelly Kulchak, executive producer, and Chris Hens, executive producer. The cast and creative team will share secrets and stories from the set as well as answer questions about the show. Expect exclusive videos, surprise giveaways, live performances, and an extended preview of Season 6 episodes screened only for Comic-Con fans. The psych panel started out with the show's executive producer and his band, the Friendly Indians, singing the theme song along with James Rode and Dulé Hill, to play Sean and Gus, respectively, joining in as backup singers. Which was awesome, by the way. Yes. This was then followed up by Kurt Fuller, who uh, you may recognize as the medical examiner on Psych, and, or Zachariah from Supernatural, and the bad guy from Ghostbusters 2, introduced himself as the panel's moderator and showing a clip from an upcoming episode that indicated the plot line of Season 6 is going to be 
sort of revolve around Lasseter having some serious issues with Sean and Jules being in a relationship and it putting him in a situation where he may have to reveal or make it so that uh, Sean has to reveal that he's not psychic. Or is it Lasseter has to reveal that Sean's not psychic? One of those two. And obviously, Sean's dad is going to not like this because it's going to put him in an odd position, Sean in an odd position. It's just a lot of conflict, which is great for television. And I think that Sean will have to come clean to Jules. I don't know if Lasseter will find out, but I think he's going to have to tell her at some point, but we'll see. Absolutely. Moving into the panel discussion, James Rode was asked if his character has grown up over the past five seasons. Did he have said that Sean has made some baby steps forward, but nothing tremendously significant, which is a good thing because the show wouldn't be funny if he, if he grew up too much. However, the fact that this is brought up makes me feel that an event may occur in this upcoming season that's going to mature Sean in some way, but still keep him that fun-loving guy who makes lots of 80s movies references. Continuing on that, that same notion, Lassie, or Lassiter, was signified as the character who has evolved the most since the pilot. And according to Timothy Alden, said this change in his character will play a part in Sean reaching that level of maturity that will be needed for him to accept that he and Lassiter are working together to make a great crime-solving team. And that Timothy Alden, that's a typo there. I meant oh. Timothy Oliphant. Oh, Timothy Oliphant. Yes. Two plays Lassiter. So there's a typo on there. I just want to clear that up. Because I bet you guys are like, who the heck is Timothy Alden? No, Timothy Omenson. Olmanson, yes. Yeah, Timothy Olyphant wow. is everybody's favorite marshal from Justified. Yes, and I know that, so sorry yeah. to both of them. No, Do you I... guys know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I like looking at my bedroom door, expecting to see two very angry police officials staring <laughs> at me right now. The one of them being Lassiter and the other one being the marshal from the FX show Justified. All right. So when asked about season six... Maggie Lawson, who plays Jules, says that her character is going to struggle with her allegiance to Lassiter at work and her dedication towards Sean in life. However, Maggie Lawson hints that her character's dedication towards Sean may be put into question due to her fully believing that Sean is a psychic when that really isn't the case, making him come across as the lying boyfriend. And attention was given to Corbin Benson, uh, Bernson, who plays Sean's dad, and he revealed that his favorite scene of the series took place in the pilot when he asks a young Sean to count the number of hats in the room because he felt that it was the moment that kind of defined the show. I have to agree. Got another moment that supposedly defined the show was Dulé Hill and James Rode citing the pilot for originating the psych-outs that occur at the end of every episode. Through the two actors spending the filming of the pilot singing Stuck on You, a song that they sing a few bars of during the panel. As for the guest stars in this upcoming season of Psych, one of the showrunners filled us in that the regular cast will be joined by Malcolm McDowell, awesome, Paul Walker, okay, 
Joey McIntyre, interesting. Christy Swanson, nice. Corey Feldman, awesome. (laughs) Tom Lank, who played Andrew in the later seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, interesting choice. Brad Dourif from the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, nice. Danny Glover, always a fan favorite. Michael Trucco, Trucco? Uh, Michael Trucco, yeah, who played Trucco. Anders on the new Battlestar Galactica. Wade Boggs, nice. Yes. <laughs> Dietrich Batter, nice. Anthony Anderson, Jason Priestley, Tony Hale from Arrested Development, and oh, and, and he was on Chuck, right? Yes. Stoney Jackson and William Shatner, everybody's favorite, who will be playing Jules's father, which is amazing. Yes. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. And if you saw the promo for uh, him being on Psych, it's hilarious. (laughs) Also, returning to the show in their guest starring roles from previous seasons are Carrie Ells, along with G.E.L. White, who's better known as Steve Urkel, and Keenan Thompson as the members of Gus's Boys to Men group. Nice. The question was asked by a fan, and we got the answer Psych fans everywhere wanted to hear. Is there going to be a musical episode of Psych? But unfortunately, we're going to have to wait for that a while because it's going to be set as the premiere to season seven. When asked if there's going to be a new serial killer for Sean to face off against this season, James Roday said that there could never be a killer who could fill Ying and Yang's shoes. But Steve Franks teased that something scary is going to happen in the later half of season six, and it's going to leave us shocked. And supposedly we're going to be introduced to Chief Vic's husband this season. And James Rode joked about it being played by the rapper Pitbull. Sean is also, I think, going to show off an ability he learned as a kid, which is how to stump a polygraph machine. And the main message that we took away from this panel is that Sykes creators and the cast see the show as something they can go any direction with as long as Sean and Gus maintain their friendship and a murder mystery is solved. Finally, the panel ended off advertising Sykes' return in October with a music video featuring the hit Breakfast Club tune, Don't You Forget About Me. (laughs) And don't forget about Syke, but it comes back in October and will become a part of ATA on a weekly basis. So get psyched up for that. It's going to be good stuff. Danico, do you have any thoughts or observations about Psych Season 6? I think it's just going to be a return to fun, a lot of good stuff. I think we're going to see some good stuff with Jules Lasseter and Sean kind of being a love triangle in a sense, or a not a love triangle, but a loyalty triangle. Same idea. Who's loyal to who? And Jules being in the middle. We're going to see that sort of love triangles thing with Gus, Jules, and Sean, like we saw at the end of last season. We're going to get a lot of good stuff out of those two themes throughout the season. I think we're going to see some trouble between Jules and Sean break out. Obviously, you have to have that it's TV. Nothing can work out until the very end. But I think you're absolutely right that the part about him being lying to her, but he wasn't lying to her as her boyfriend because he started to lie well before he ever met her. So I think that's going to save him in the end. Go on, I think that uh, Henry Spencer, as the dad, will save the day again, too. Yes, somehow. I think the scary thing that's going to happen 
is that the group is going to be threatened with going separate ways. I think there's going to be a point in the end of an episode where the whole group falls to pieces. And the second half of season six will be bringing everything back together again. I just hope the fallout, if there is a fallout or a friendship breakup between Sean and Gus, that it's not going to upset people. But I think it'll all work out and come together at the end. The only thing is, I mean, this is season six. I'm a little nervous about a slump. But if this show just continues to have fun, I think it will be good. And I think the fact that they've waited a little bit till having their next season will get this nostalgia factor for Psych. Then I think that'll make people enthusiastic about it, that they won't feel that slump or that tiredness feel of a season six. We're going to go with that, and I'm excited for it. So I think it'll be good. Speaking of another show that I'm excited about coming back, or it could just be completely ridiculous this season to get canceled, that's the show Community. So you want to talk about that panel real quick, Nico? Robin diced to driblets. Batman certainly can't help him. Will the Joker go free to practice the art of crime and make a crime of art? Find out tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Alright, I hate to disappoint everyone, but you're only going to get the answer to those questions if you're willing to go through reruns of the 60s Batman TV series. But the giant cliffhanger that we are leaving at the end of this episode of Across the Airwaves is going to be resolved with part two of our coverage on San Diego Comic Con International 11. And it's going to feature Nico and I having discussions on the panels that were held on the TV series Community, Bones, The Big Bang Theory, Fringe, Person of Interest, Grim, Chuck, and Supernatural. So if you're interested in checking out the continuation of this episode, please get on iTunes or visit our website at www.acrosstheairways.com. And without further ado, here is the editor of part two of this podcast's way of saying, don't you forget about me when it comes to listening to the next episode. now return to our regularly scheduled program.